I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello, I'm Sam Loy and welcome to another episode of Human Ordinary. Documentaries about relationships, culture and all those things that make us human. So this one time, when I was a lot younger and my back didn't always hurt, I was travelling around the world. I took off with my girlfriend, but I finished alone. Long story. The trip took me through Southeast Asia, Western Europe, Great Britain and South America. And all along the way, I had this endeavour that I was going to collect street art. Now, I defined street art basically as any kind of creative work that I could pick up from a market or a vendor or, you know, someone on the street. I wanted each piece to be unique, none of these reproductions that hundreds of tourists return home with, and preferably, I wanted to buy it from the actual artist. And so I picked up a pencil drawing in Cambodia, a demo CD of flamenco tunes from a musician in Barcelona, a crude pastel streetscape with a dog pissing on washing from Peru, an ink Buddha painted onto a leaf from Thailand, and my favourite, a contemporary painting of a distorted and erratic mask that I paid a bit for in Buenos Aires. Looking over them, or rather thinking about them, as they're locked away somewhere in the garage, can't hang pictures in rentals, it's easy to see how each is a reflection of the place where I got it. Each represents not just the personality and idiosyncrasies of the artist, but also the culture they come from. And that's the thing about art. It's always more than just an evocative ballad or an imagistic verse or a pretty picture. The saying that a picture is worth a thousand words completely understates it. Sometimes, a picture represents thousands of years of culture. This time on Human Ordinary, Cinnamon Nippard brings a story about connection, identity, and artistic theft. Darwin has two seasons, dry and wet. I've landed there in August from Sydney, which means I've gone from a chilly 14 degrees Celsius to a steamy 30 degrees, from winter to summer. And quite frankly, it's awesome. August is a busy month with the Darwin Festival and the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair, full of music, art and performances from the top end Australia and the world. On the harbour at the Convention Centre, the art fair is in full swing, and I'm struck by the incredible range of artwork, the huge variety of textures, colours and styles. It's a showcase of art from 70 Aboriginal art centres around Australia, and most of them are from the Northern Territory. Every art centre has its own stand, and in addition to bright canvases, there are also woven baskets and sculptures, ceramics, wooden sculptures and beautiful textiles. My name's Kellyanne Drill. I am 30 years old and I do textile with Warangari Arts, which is really good, something I like to do. Um, the textile I do on there is my country, Bungle Bungle. It's on a yellow um, cotton material with a, a block print um, background circle and also with my um, cut-out um, hills on the second print as Bungle Bungle. 
Well, it's important to me because um, my grandmother, um, she's been fighting for that place for many, many years. Like for a native title claim, really, around Bungle Bungle, yeah. But um, hopefully it'll come together at the end of this year with her claim. The Bungle Bungle Range is a striking geological landmark in the Kimberley in Western Australia, a region known for its stunning landscapes. The country we now call Australia is the smallest continent, and the landscape ranges from snowy mountains to tropical rainforest, plains and desert. Before the British invasion in 1788, there were more than 250 Indigenous languages, each with a unique culture. That means different languages, different stories and songs, different tools, and also different art styles. Abraham Morita is a respected artist, represented by Giringan Aboriginal Art Centre, located on the coast of North Queensland, a place surrounded by mountains and rainforest. My name is Abraham Morita. I'm from Mariapa, Cardinal Tully area in North Queensland. I'm a bit of a traditional owner. My artwork, well, my, my weaving artwork, my baskets and all that uh, is a hundred percent pure culture. It's it's what my people do, and I just I just follow what uh, they left behind. You won't find any dot paintings here. Abe and his elders are most well known for their beautiful traditional bicornial baskets called jarwin that are almost architectural in their design. It's my true identity. It's, it is my. It is my true identity. It's my purest identity and identification you can get. Um, you see a bicornial basket, you know, you can only think of people from North Queensland. You can't think of people from out in the desert. So it is the purest form of identification of my culture, it, it think. And, you know, and even the dances and uh, the uh, the paintings and all that, it's, it's unique to us it's because it's it's a story behind every little artwork. So you got to, you know the story, you revive the story, you keep the story alive in, in the place and in your memory and, you know, and your identity, it, it identifies you. Alongside Abe, the Giringan Aboriginal Art Centre also represents nine traditional owner groups in a 25,000-kilometre area, which is more than 15,500 miles. The artists create a range of artwork, from painting on canvases to textiles, ceramic sculptures, woven baskets and traditional objects like shields. As well as supporting artists, the centre also has a role in educating the general public. Joanne Russo is the manager of the centre. That's where facilities like us um, are very important because we explain to every visitor that comes in who makes the the inquiry over where the dots or the lines are and we explain to them, well, you won't actually find that here. It's like we've got customers come in asking where the didgeridoos are. Oh, you're not going to buy one from here. You need to go to the Territory. And we take the opportunity to educate get the word out and just explain to people how unique and diverse the Aboriginal um, culture is, then hopefully we'll start seeing a change in the way people think about it. 
Back at the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair, a huge poster catches my eye that reads, Fake Art Harms Culture. After the break, we'll hear about the different ways that traditional culture is being exploited for the souvenir trade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Human Ordinary is sponsored by Movement. So one of the perks of having the 28,305th most listened to podcast is that you get awesome sponsors who sometimes send you things. This one time, the good folk at Movement sent a care package over with what I thought were a pair of plain lens glasses. Now, not being much of a hipster, I thought I'd use the frames and get some sunglass lenses instead. So I went on their website to check out availability, and that's when I discovered that the glasses I had in my hot little hand were actually Movement's Everscroll blue light filtering glasses. They're built to protect your eyes from the blue light that screens give off. That's known to cause eye strain, discomfort, and poor sleeping patterns. So I started wearing them when I'm working, and honestly, they actually work. My eyes feel less tired after an editing session, and I'm able to keep my focus more when I'm tapping out scripts. I reckon they help me to fall asleep faster, and I'm in a better mood because of them. Plus, they look like regular glasses, no yellow tint, so I look at least 10% smarter, which is still not that smart. With the average person spending almost seven hours a day in front of a screen, I'd recommend Movements Ever Scroll to anyone. They start from just 65 American dollar bucks, and you can select from a wide range of frames and styles. Listeners to the show can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns just by going to mvmt.com forward slash human. Protect your eyes and look great doing it. That's mvmt.com forward slash human. Join the movement. My name is Stephanie Parkin. I'm from the Kornamooka people of Menjiriba, also known as North Stobroke Island, off the coast of Brisbane. So I'm here at the art fair in a couple of roles. Um, I'm the co-chair of the Indigenous Art Code and also the Indigenous Engagement Manager at the Copyright Agency. So both of those organisations are here alongside Arts Law Centre of Australia and our three organisations are working together to um, bring about awareness of the issue of fake art and continue to push for changes to law. So what is fake art? We see a lot of works that or styles of works that people use that say that's Aboriginal-inspired or Indigenous art-inspired. And this most often means dot-style paintings or souvenirs decorated in this way. I do understand that in probably in other circles, you know, copying might be seen as some type of flattery, um, but I think it's different with Aboriginal artists. It's, it's not just art. It's not just artistic design. Um, artistic expression is part of identity and culture and wrapped up in oneself and who they are and where they're from. It's wrapped up in connections to country and culture and stories and traditions that have been passed down for many generations. So it's not just the, the physical 
piece. Um, that is, there's so much more to it, and it is. I think that is what sits behind it all and gives it the value. So people who do copy it and say that they take inspiration from it, well, you know, they're only getting half of the story if they just like it because it looks aesthetically pleasing. They're missing out on all of the value and the whole purpose behind why that cultural expression exists and it doesn't respect that fact, in my view. And you have a piece here. Can you tell me what this is? Yeah, so this piece, um, it's... Uh, a piece of fake Aboriginal art and when we say fake Aboriginal art um, art and craft products we mean products that have been made without the consent or knowledge of an Aboriginal person even though the product itself has visual representations of it being made by an Aboriginal person Um, so this product is sort of like a a mini didgeridoo I suppose you would say and it's got some brightly coloured paint on it um, some dot work and some images of um, animals, a kangaroo and a turtle. And it also has the word Australia written on it. Um, and it's done in black, red and yellow colours primarily. And what gives it away? Like, how would you know that it's a fake piece? Well, sometimes it can be quite difficult to know what's fake um, because a lot of the fake products now are so good um, and they're so close to um, the real things. So sometimes the colours, but not always. Sometimes the sheen on it that you see, but that's not always the case either. Um, A lot of the time there won't be any labels on this product about the artist or what the story is connected with. So um, sometimes if people go into shops and ask questions about the product and who the artist is and what the arrangements are with artists, um, generally you can get a good sense of whether or not there is actually an agreement with an artist in place. So it is difficult to know what's fake and what's not and that's why we're continuing to push for changes to law because, in our view, um, it shouldn't be up to the tourist or the consumer in the shop to be deciding what's fake and what's not. They should have the consumer confidence to know that what they're buying is genuine. This problem isn't unique to Australia. It's also happening in Canada too. But if you buy work from an Aboriginal art centre that's over $250 Australian, it will come with an official art centre authentication certificate. But there are lots of companies manufacturing souvenirs that look like they've been made by an Aboriginal artist, but many have been produced in Indonesia or China. And the money this industry generates is massive. There's no sort of... um a formal research done in the area about the dollar value of what the fake art business is worth. Um, I think there were some stats being spoken about a few years ago where the Aboriginal art market was valued at between 300 and 500 million um, per annum. And that's, that's making no distinction, though, about what's real and what's fake or if it was in the high end or the souvenir end. So... It's hard to really give a precise figure, but that figure between three to five hundred million, um, I have read that um, in reports as being an indicative figure of what the overall value of the Aboriginal art market is valued in Australia. So if we're looking at those type of figures, you know, there's potentially a huge amount of money that Aboriginal artists and communities are missing out on um, because of fake art. You know, it, it stifles opportunities for artists to get their products on the shelves in places, um, and it really, you know, disadvantages already a lot of disadvantaged people. 
While manufacturing has gone offshore, Stephanie Parkin says that the demand is coming from Australia. People point the finger at Indonesia and China, um, but the demand has actually been driven by Australians, non-Indigenous businesses who are located here, and they're driving the demand for that. So there has been some action recently in the federal court um, where the uh, ACCC took a business to court over misleading and deceptive conduct around this issue of fake art. And that was the Birubi case, which you might have heard of. Over two and a half years, the company in question, Birubi Art, sold over 18,000 boomerangs, bull roarers, didgeridoos and other products. And all of these were made in Indonesia. The judge decided that consumers were likely to be misled, thinking that such products were actually made by Aboriginal people here in Australia, when that was actually false, because they were made overseas. So the court imposed a fine of $2.3 million um, against that business. The business, unfortunately, went into liquidation around the time those penalties were handed down. In her decision, the judge noted that before its voluntary liquidation, Birubi Art sold its assets to the company Giftsmate that was established and controlled by Birubi's former director, Ben Wooster. And the product is still allowed to be sold because there is no laws in place to stop fake art. In the Birubi case, the company was actually in breach of consumer law because it misled consumers. In another case, Aboriginal artist Bibi Barber found that the Eclipse Hotel in Poland had copied one of her paintings throughout much of the building and put it on carpets, walls and bar tops. They had never asked for her permission, and so she challenged them under copyright law. But the designer and the hotel have denied copyright infringement. When Bibi Barber suggested that the hotel hold an exhibition of her work as a form of reparation, she got no response and is still fighting for compensation six years later. I think there was a real resistance from the hotel to acknowledge that Bibi Barber had rights to the work and that somehow there was some understanding that because it was an Aboriginal artist's work, because it was on the internet, um, that they were able to use it however they wanted, which breaches copyright law, but it also breaches, you know, the cultural rights that are attached to that work. Um, and to use Aboriginal artists' work without consent, it's a common thing. And there's probably many reasons why people think that they're able to do that. Um, but I think underlying it all, it represents a, a disrespect of Aboriginal culture and art and what that means to people. In some cases, fake Aboriginal art isn't just about fooling consumers or breaching an artist's copyright. It's appropriating a cultural tradition wholesale, without any understanding of what it represents. For example, in the new Ricky Gervais series Afterlife on Netflix, there's a huge dot-style painting above the couch in his character's apartment. It's done in the Papunya style, practised by Aboriginal artists from the Western Desert, which is famous for bringing dot painting to the world's attention in the 1970s. But it turned out that the example on the TV show was painted by an English woman. Lee Elston from the Arts Law Centre of Australia. Her job was to create props, essentially, for film and TV. And this is something that she produced back in the late 90s, Uh, for another project and the props company that she made it for had it in storage all that time and pulled it out and even she was surprised that it was there and interestingly after after that furor kind of blew up she came out and said well she didn't know at the time she was ignorant and she wouldn't make that kind of artwork these days. She apologised but she's far from the only one. 
In 2018, Damien Hirst held an exhibition of his veil paintings, which sold for a cool $18 million. But a few Australian artists and art dealers noticed an uncanny resemblance to the utopia painting style practised by female Aboriginal artists close to Alice Springs. But Hurst claimed that his paintings were inspired by Impressionist and Post-Impressionist painters and that he was unaware of the utopia painting style. Many people will argue that all art is derivative, so why can't artists be inspired by Aboriginal art, just as they would be by Cubism or Impressionism? For artist Abraham Morita, the difference is that those other art styles don't have the same profound link to spirituality and country. It's robbery, it's, it's, uh, it's stealing. It's, you don't steal anybody else's identity. Yes, like I said, it, it identifies me. And, and that's dealing. Uh, if it's European, there's only one motive for any, all of that, and that is money. Uh, it's greed, it, what drives those people. And they've got no scruples whatsoever. Uh, without a culture, it's 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 my purest identity. It identifies me. When you see it, I you know, and we just have to keep saying to them, you know, if you got a if you got a culture, um, use your own culture. Stephanie Parkin says that in the short term, they're calling for changes to Australian consumer law. And so that what that would do would it would prohibit works. Uh, that are sold with Aboriginal cultural expression unless unless the work's actually made by an Aboriginal person or they're made under a licence agreement. Um, and that would be under the Australian Consumer Law. And we see that as a short-term solution, so something that could be done quite quickly. It's an amendment to an existing law that's already in place um, and that could potentially work um, to help stop fake art in the, fir- in the first instance. But in the long term, Lee Elston says they're calling for standalone legislation to put the ownership and control of Indigenous cultural knowledge back into the hands of the communities it comes from. What we'd ultimately like to see is standalone legislation, so like the Copyright Act, but a similar act that protects Indigenous cultural and intellectual property. Um, there's a lot of movement internationally with this as well, um, so... The World, Indi- World Intellectual Property Organisation in Geneva, they're looking at, they've got a committee of Indigenous peoples from all over the world who are trying to establish some kind of international um, treaty, I guess, or convention at least. So we'd like something like that. In the meantime, Stephanie Parkin says that there are a few things you can do when you're buying Aboriginal art or souvenirs. And that starts with asking a few questions. Who is the artist? Where is the artist from? How much has the artist been paid for this work? And what are the stories behind um, the Aboriginal artist's work? These questions might help you decide whether or not that piece is real or fake. And for more information about authentic Aboriginal art and real art and the questions to ask, you can go to our website, indigenousartcode.org. Big thanks to Stephanie Parkin, Lee Elsden, Joanne Russo, Abraham Marita, Kelly Andrill, Gabriel Sullivan and the Human Ordinary team. Make sure you head to humanordinary.com for links, pics and for more info on this episode and many more. That was Cinnamon Nippard. There's heaps of other stuff you can hear from Cinnamon out there, especially all the things she does for the kids' radio station Kindling. 
She's got one more story to go for 2019, which will be out in eight weeks' time. Human Ordinary is produced in Melbourne and Sydney by Cinnamon Nippard, May Jasper, Mick Cavazzini and me, Sam Loy. Special thanks to Claire Tonti at Planet Broadcasting and Guy Scott Wilson at Acast. Our artwork is by Fergal Quigley and our theme music is by The Contortionist Handbook. Score ad-free episodes and exclusive rewards by subscribing to Human Ordinary at Possible.com. For more info on the show, head to the website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Anyway, thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered.